Welcome to another In the Telling Scrapisode, segments that are too good to be left on the cutting room floor. In this scrapisode, Anthony Buck gives an opera history lesson for musical theater people. This scrapisode is sponsored by Anthony Buck. Anthony Buck has been teaching people to sing with greater ease and strength and more beautiful tone for over 10 years. His students successfully sing musical theater, pop, classical, and even rock music. Let Anthony help you meet your singing goals. Email atb at anthonythomasbuck.com to schedule a lesson today. And now, Anthony Buck. So in the beginning of opera, they had these uh, standard forms of how they would tell the story that you would move the story along very rapidly and in a musically less interesting and complicated way. Something expository. Yeah. This is called recitative. It's recited. Okay. And then you would get to an emotional high point, at which point the action stops, and then the character expresses in that high point of emotion how they feel about what's going on. So the high point is aria. That's what aria means. It means height. Oh, interesting. Um, So it's not necessarily about singing high. It's about the height of emotion. You stop and you tell that. And then you get back to reciting the story again in recitative. I feel like what you just described um, connects for me how musical theater came out of opera. Because the whole point in musical theater is we get to the the song, the song comes in at the height of the emotion of whatever's happening in the scene. As uh, opera evolves, then they do more and more complicated structures. And so especially with someone like Mozart, who was great at the operatic ensemble, which is basically like a million arias for characters going on at the same time in short, um, in in high speed. Um, I'm thinking of One Day More in Les Mis. Exactly. Okay, carry on. Exactly. That's you start to get much more complex ways of telling the story. And then that does go over into musical theater. So if you can think of a, of a musical that's like maybe Oklahoma. Yeah. Right. That you have store uh, songs like, Oh, what a beautiful morning. Right. Yeah. That doesn't move the story forward at all. No, it's just like straightforward. One character. Today's mm-hmm. lovely. Or the story <laughs> with the fringe on top. Yes. You know, you're just, or, or more amusingly, I can't say no. Right. Right. You're just, well, this is who I am. Yeah. Um, An opera has those kinds of things where you'll have an entrance aria for a character and say, hello, this is who I am. I'll sing about it for five minutes. You'll clap and then we'll go tell the story about why I'm here. But you will will thoroughly understand who I am going forward. But then you have a musical that's like, say, Sweeney Todd, which is far more complicated in structure, where you will have maybe like Green Finch and Linnet Bird for Joanna, which is like her entrance aria. Yeah. Where you know who she is. Establishes her as a person. But then you'll have uh, an extended musical sequence like that fantastic quartet um, for Joanna and Anthony and uh, who is it? Sweeney and the judge, I think. Um, if I'm remembering that wrong, someone will post and be like, he doesn't know Sweeney Todd. Why is he talking about it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if I were to describe the Act 2 finale of No Say to Figure, everyone would be like, wow, he knows stuff, even if I got a detail wrong. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Um, I think I think in there you just made a comment about how popular musical theater right. is versus how popular <laughs> opera is. Right. 
<laughs> but uh, they're moving the plot forward while they're doing this. But at the same time, you're learning so much about their inner emotional worlds, right? Yeah. So um, opera and musical theater, they do have these uh, similar sorts of structures. In uh, musical theater, you're going to get rid of, mu- of recitative. You're not going to tell the story musically. You're just going to say, let's just speak it. It's faster. Uh, let's have There's, a scene. Yeah. We'll just do the dialogue this way. Do you think this idea of um, not only are we going to emotionally delve into who this character is and introduce, but we also want to forward the plot. Do you think that's a natural evolution um, that happened to storytelling in total? Or do you feel like that is a musical theater's thing and that's why it's a separate genre? And opera is like really not going to head that direction. I think that opera has headed that direction more and more. So opera's been around for over 400 years. The first operas were written right around the year 1600. So it has had a lot of opportunity to evolve. So if you're looking at um, arias in things that were written, even in the late um, 1800s, they're getting much more toward moving plot along with it. In the early days of opera, (laughs) you didn't even have to sing the aria that the composer put in that place. You just sing whatever you, you wanted. You could bring your own aria and hand it to the orchestra and say, this is the aria. This is my favorite rage aria. I just need to express anger. Mm-hmm. I will do it whatever way I want. And the in those days, the stars, the singers, were far more important than the composers. Now we think of a Handel opera and think, right. we this is Handel. We have you no idea who sang it. mess around with this. Well, I do. Well, those of but... us that aren't <laughs> Dr. Anthony Buck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you would go to see Senesino, the great castrati, or castrato. You would say, that's who we're going to see. We don't care that Handel wrote the music for it. So if uh, Senesino wanted to bring in his, or, or Farinelli wanted to bring in his own aria and sing it here, then Handel would say, great, because the people are coming to hear you. Yeah. Do you do you think that that's changed? It appears to me as an outsider that that has changed, right? Absolutely. Um, do you think that that's because opera has lasted so long, so we it's easier to retain who the composer is in our collective public conscience? That is part of it. But the other part of it is Beethoven. Oh. <laughs> like one dude yeah. transformed the industry. And it's, and it's not just Beethoven, but it's all the people around this same time. Um, We're going to call this the Beethoven effect. Right. <laughs> and it's the idea of romanticism. Okay. So romanticism emphasizes uh, the suffering artist enormously. So I'm trying to think of some uh, people like from literature or uh, art that might be in the same sort of... Um, you say realm. suffering artist and I go to Van Gogh instantly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and are they contemporaneous? I think they are contemporaneous, actually. Um, Van Gogh was... He was a messed up dude, yeah? Yeah, suffered. And, and the story of his suffering is one of the things that people really emphasize in his great art. Yeah, it's lasted as long as his works. Right. If you think about Michelangelo, you don't think about his suffering. You just think about his great, beautiful art. And he didn't appear... It didn't appear that his suffering was really um, integral to the production of his art. Yeah, right? yeah. But you think about Van Gogh. And it or is. Or you think the- about Beethoven, right? His his long-lost love on a third... Uh, 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 
Fernigeliebte, I think, is the is the uh, important document that shows that he had this unrequited love that was so important to him, and his loss of hearing. Yeah, that's the one right? that yeah that I think everybody knows. Right. Yes. Uh, so you think of him as this suffering artist, and the suffering makes him into a genius. Yes. Yeah. And so the genius artist. This then, is a romantic period notion. Mm, yes, becomes the central figure in the production of it of the art itself. And so then when uh, Beethoven puts out this brilliant piece, then it's not about the people who performed it anymore. It's not about the artist. It's about how it originated because that's the suffering. Do you, do you think, I mean, I, I definitely think that's lasted with us, right? We mm-hmm. look at um, Heath Ledger in Batman yeah, yeah. and, and the, yeah. all of the storytelling that surrounded him playing that role lasts and usurps longer than his actual performance in a lot of ways for a lot of people. So if you think about someone like Jimmy Stewart, you're like, oh, what a happy life that guy had, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But you don't think of his acting maybe as being greatly artistic because he didn't suffer. So There is a fabulous piece in The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer with Cary Grant and uh, Shirley Temple. And she he plays a character who's this great artist. And she plays the high school journalist who's like super crushing on him. And she gets a chance to interview him for the school newspaper. And she has all of these assumptions about how much he has suffered. And he, he picks up on that. And because he's Cary Grant and it's a comedy, he totally mocks around with it. And she has these moments where... He, he tells her that he grew up in an orphanage and some days they didn't beat me. And he's just like, he's just making it up, right? And then he's like, and then I, and then I started to steal and she is just entranced in his telling. And she's, what did you steal? And he's like, crusts of bread and things. Oh and it's like one of my all time favorite movie moments because it's poking fun at this, this assumption we all have that suffering and art have to go hand in hand. Right. But, but they don't really. Well, I, I sure hope not. A lot of my friends are artists. Right. <laughs> Um, suffering is, uh, here we'll get philosophical in a non-artistic way, but, um, suffering is inherent to the human condition. We all will suffer. And the, uh, the impulse to escape suffering is not always productive. (laughs) Um, we all learn great things from suffering, but, um, there was a composer who was somewhat contemporaneous with Beethoven, Mendelssohn. Uh, Mendelssohn lived a very, uh, privileged life. He and his sister, Fanny Mendelssohn, who was also a uh, composer, they were wealthy. And uh, he composed a lot of music, and a lot of it is very bright and hopeful and joyous. And at the time, people looked at him and said, meh, just not that interested. This is this is not what grips us right now. Right. Because there is not a story um, about your suffering that we can relate to or we can pity or we can cathart ourselves right. over. But the But the story of the music that he wrote is interesting. One of the, there are two great wedding marches um, that we listen to now, and one of them was written by Mendelssohn for the incidental music for Midsummer Night's Dream. We all love that piece of music. You and say incidental, and I want you to clarify, because um, incidental has a connotation for me outside oh, of music right. that is. Uh, incidental music um, is music written for a play that wouldn't have been sung. It's, uh, it's music that would have uh, accompanied action. Underscore. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> that would be the word that we would use. So um, there's an overture to Midsummer Night's Dream uh, that people are familiar with. Uh, oh, Fantasia. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess that is in Fantasia. It, uh, it doesn't take place during the spoken action of a play of Midsummer Night's Dream, nor is there any singing that, um, that Mendelssohn, well, there's very little singing that Mendelssohn wrote for uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. There are some songs that Shakespeare wrote into, and Mendelssohn set those. But anyway, that wouldn't be incidental music, right? Right, that yeah. That would be a song. Uh, but the overture is incidental. So can you, if you can imagine going to the theater to watch Midsummer Night's Dream, the play, and then seeing a giant orchestra sitting in the pit... I mean, we would never do that now. Oh, right? but we should. That sounds so good. But that's, that's what they uh, did then, because you wanted music in the play, and if you wanted it, it had to be live, because there was no other way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> 